So I'm speaking uh, with one of my one of the most respected uh, composers in the industry, one of my favorites as well, the Oscar, Golden Globe, and BAFTA nominated Mr. Patrick Doyle. Uh, his immense and versatile body of work uh, includes scores like The Gr uh, Great Expectations, Exit to Eden, Sense and Sensibility, Donnie Brasco, Gosford Park, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, Rise of the Planet of the Apes, uh, Brave, and many, many more. Patrick also has uh, formed one of the most iconic composer-director relationships with Kenneth Branagh. Uh, which has resulted in scores like Henry V, uh, Dead Again, Hamlet, Sleuth, Thor, Jack Ryan, Shadow Recruit, and now Disney's Cinderella. Patrick, thank you so much for your time today. It's such a real honor to chat with you. No, it's my pleasure, Kaya. Um, so to start, I'd, I'd love to know, um, how did you first get interested in music? And at what point did you, in your life did you decide that film composing was the path that you were going to take? Well, I'm from a very musical family, and that's and uh, I was surrounded uh, with music all my days. Um, I always knew I want I want to do something in, in, in the world of music. Um, I just I started playing the piano when I was twelve. Um, my family are very fond of singing, as indeed I am. And uh, I went to the Royal Scottish Academy of Music. I was a junior student at the Royal Scottish Academy of Music, and then I spent uh, a three-year um, course there and. Um, I obtained my degree in classical music studies. And then I, I was a music teacher for a year. I worked in theater as a musical director and also as a performer. And um, I joined the Renaissance Theater Company, which was um, um, which was established by Kenneth Branagh and David Buffett. I did uh, two years with that company as a musical director and a performer. Um, but then uh, Henry V came along, and I happened to be with Ken at that period, and um, I got the opportunity to write my first score. And the film, both the film and <clears throat> two plays we were doing, King Lear and um, As You Like It, um, opened up, sorry, I beg your pardon, King Lear and A Midsummer Night's Dream, um, opened and played for two and a half months at the Mark Table Forum in Los Angeles. So I was very fortunate that my first film and um, my first time in Los Angeles with a theatre company, um, <clears throat> coincided at the same time. So it was a very fortuitous moment in my career. Wow. And so, you know, you, you were working in the theatre company with Kenneth. Do you remember the first time you met him? What was your kind of first impression? Did you guys really kind of click when you first met? Instantly. Uh, I also, he left a message on my answer machine, answer machine. And it was interesting because... Um, this person just left a message saying, call them. It was interesting because I thought he said it's very assured voice and very calm person and uh, I, I don't know I just got an sort of, uh, impression that um, I have an interesting meeting so I met him and uh, and instantly realized that uh, this this chap was very very special and um, I'd worked with quite a number of directors before I met him but I found fairly unengaging and sort of disconnected with and I really wasn't inspired by the work, and I was getting slightly kind of, um, I suppose, slightly, slightly sort of found it tedious mm -hmm. working with matrix. I just didn't find any connection. And he was a guy who I thought it was extremely smart, extremely intelligent, not in any way elitist or grand, um, and all his ideas made total sense. And um, what was interesting, he never, he never asked to listen to a note of my music. Wow. <laughs> um, he took me sight unseen. And uh, I liked him instantly. I thought he and what he described um, in terms of the play, the design, the look of it—that's exactly how the play uh, he visualized happened. 
it was extraordinary. And um, it was, his instructions were clear, concise. Um, he gave me such scope um, to do my own thing. He was very hands-off, um, uh, which he still is, and, uh, and just, you know, great company. So uh, um, that's, and I instantly knew that this guy was very special, instantly. Wow. So, I mean, how would you compare working with Kenneth on Cinderella versus, say, your first film, Henry V? I mean, did you guys have a process right off the bat and stick with it, or has it kind of evolved or adapted depending on what the film is? Well, it's always, always, always narrator as i is always um narrative and character driven mm-hmm. um and uh he has we both discuss in detail the script um i usually read obviously if it's a shakespeare adaptation i'm well aware of the play itself right. um but his inter- his interpretation of it how he sees it and the tone that he would like to establish we discuss in detail and he's very he's very 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 passionate about everything he works on and very clear and concise, detailed, intelligent, articulate, clear, um, and is always unpretentious. And, uh, but it, principally, it's impassioned. He really is filled with passion. And um, when we discussed, um, should, we just, should we discuss our work? So the way we worked in on on Henry the Fifth, it's exactly the same way we worked on Cinderella. Wow. We, we, before before it was shot, we discussed in detail um, his vision, his approach, um, and he brings me into the world in his head that he's about to create. And as I say, he's very very clear about that, so there's no ambiguity. Um, and uh, when he described the characters, how he saw it, and he, of course he spoke of this this great story as a great story, Cinderella. Um, I, indeed, it is, as you spoke of, 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 of Henry V, as a great iconic piece of, of theatre um, and writing. So, uh, um, so he, 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 and also, for example, we discussed, or he, again, he talked about the gods, about Greek mythology, and how this, this, this character must be, in, in, it must in every way be totally believable, and we must practically believe that he, inhabits his world, and so the costume, the hammer, nothing's out of place. It's totally acceptable because of the commitment of the of the way it's shot and the performances and um, the, the script writing. So indeed, that's what happened in Cinderella. I happen to um, think it's a, a phenomenal story. It's a wonderful story about about uh, um, a person uh, overcoming adversity and. Um, uh, you know, a, a life turning around at the last minute where everything seems lost. Um, the writing itself, uh, the screenplay by Chris Weiss is, is fantastic. Um, and when I read the, the story, I thought this is so well written. And um, it's all these are very, it's a very old story, but very, very fresh and honest and direct. And I mean, and to me, the central, central. Um, Root to and foundation are, are, are the great performances and the the wonderful sincerity in those performances and reality is contemporary, it's enchanting, it's romantic, it's magical, it's funny, um, it's got all these incredible elements to it. But ultimately, it's it's done with total commitment. Absolutely, and and the score I, I have to say is it's it's beautiful. I listened to it and and I mean I put the review up. It was my 
you know, give it high praise. It's such a wonderful score, and I think what I love about it is that it, you know, it embraces the genre, but it it, it feels so in tune with, you know, the character of Cinderella. I mean, so when you first sat down with Kenneth, I mean, what were those kind of discussions? What did he tell you that he was feeling for the music? And, you know, you're working on one of the most well-known stories of all time, so how did you approach it to make it feel uh, original? Or did you want it to feel kind of more traditional in, in that sense? Well, I knew that there was a, there was, and to be part of the Disney family and to be part of that incredible brand and history, um, there's, a, there's an automatic subconscious raking through the, 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 the um, remnants of your memories and your impressions of that whole world. And, and I, unfortunately, um, I'm a huge fan of, of the Disney output. The first film I went to see was Fantasia on my own mm-hmm. in Glasgow at the age of 14 because I'd seen clips of this on the early days of television. That's how far I go back. <laughs> um, and it was in black and white. So when I saw it, and I actually saw it was in color, it was an astonishing experience. <laughs> it was amazing. I had no idea it was in color. Um, I came from a small town outside Glasgow, and my mother gave me permission. It was a big deal to go into Glasgow myself. Um, my sister was at college at that time, and she, and she told me of this amazing arts. Um, it's a cinema, you call it a theater, it showed art movies as well as uh, contemporary movies, and uh, and she said, "I see Fantasia coming back really re- regularly to this art art, art theatre called the Cosmo." So I went to see it, and um, it was the most incredible experience to set the film on your own and to watch this. And of course, when it came to, when it was in colour, ultimately, um, I, I was astonished. So. And then I bought the Disney book when I went to the Royal Scottish Academy. I remember buying the book. I remember being fast. I'm always fascinated by animation, fascinated by art, I suppose, and fascinated by. I remember reading in particular about Pinocchio um, and uh, these in-depth shots that they created for the mm-hmm. opening of Pinocchio. To that comes from a, an, an ale shot coming into the village at the very opening. I remember that clearly. Reading about that and being fascinated. I still have the book. Um, so when Ken started to discuss it, um, he spoke. In the same in the same way of his uh, complete uh, absor- absorbing of, of the the D- Disney uh, films and iconic works sort of throughout you know throughout his life. So he I also saw very early footage of of Lily and uh, of Richard to see the connection just standing looking at each other as, as a film set mm-hmm. and, and a film test rather. I also saw her film. Film test, which was fascinating. After she got the job, and he allowed me to, to see this, um, uh, it, it, I remember when he went to her studios, and we, we sat and watched it in, in the anteroom there. And um, I, I, I said, "This is absolutely skill is absolutely stunning." If you hear him, the voice off camera, giving her instructions, she would turn around, and you know, I could, something I couldn't hear what he was saying, but certainly she was reacting, and the and the sort of gamut of emotions that she portrayed during this encounter was enough to convince me that he had he absolutely had a first first class actress and Cinderella on his hands. Um so that was immensely um informative and inspiring. Um and I often do this as a Harry Potter, I get to see the sets, I get to see the costumes and uh, I find it all very inspiring. I like to work this way if I can. 
And then we had a long discussion. I was in a holiday in my house in France, and he phoned us up. had a long discussion about the tone he felt, the size of the music, the tone he felt. He didn't want to be too big um, con- on us on a regular basis, obviously, but had its, had, have to have its big moments. But the, mm-hmm. the lightness of touch, um, the romance, the lightness of touch, just the lightness of touch, even in the heavier scenes, in terms of the acting, there's a lightness of touch. Um, it's, and I suppose that's heading towards things being contemporary and real. Mm-hmm. Um, but it should have the magic in it and the enchantment in it, but the contemporary feel to it. Um, and I suppose there, there would be, have to be elements of the certain, you know, orchestral colors that you can use, and you can use sparingly and tastefully and elegantly, um, and only, um, I suppose, heighten what's already gorgeous on the screen anyway. Um, but there, are, there is a sense, there is a sense that you're following a tradition, but it has to be, it has to be, and is in fact successfully um, uh, crafted for a modern audience. And it also should have, I wanted to give a timelessness that all those great films, Disney films have, or good films have, um, and I do think the film has achieved that. I'm very proud of the score, and um, I've spent. Over, well, well over a year working on this score wow. um, to, to the exclusion of everything else I knew that I was dealing with a great great picture here and I saw a very early montage um, before I started working on the score proper and I was completely blown away um, it was extraordinary but I, after this conversation in France with with, with, um, with Ken I waited as I, I'm more experienced I waited seven days or so before I sat down at the piano in my house in France and I sat down and I wrote the walls but I read the script and I knew this obviously the central walls where it was geographically I knew the feeling obviously you, it doesn't it doesn't take a nuclear scientist to work out it, they finally meet mm-hmm. then he, they realize who each other is that wonderful moment and I, I, re- I visualize that incredible moment of softness between the two of them but all eyes are on them, and how, how the music should gently weave and come and come out of this wonderful moment. Um, also, um, I knew that immediately afterwards, geographically, we would need an up um, a, a waltz to get them moving and out the way again, uh, or a polka or something, an up tempo dance. Um, and I thought about a, a, a fast three four um, waltz immediately afterwards. So. I also wrote that in France. I sent that to Ken. I sent them both to Ken, and he absolutely loved them. Um, because one has to have a, one, once he described the scene, I sort of worked out the geography, um, and I knew that this this second waltz would have to have an energy to it could possibly take you take you um, uh, to her running out of the of the um, of of the palace. But in, in fact, it, it was just me stretching the imagination a little. Um, it just gave me inspiration, but you can hear it immediately after the first dance. Immediately after the the waltz is this is this piece. So um, all that came from all those different experiences, and finally a full discussion with Ken, with Ken describing what he was after. So I mean, you, and you mentioned the uh, the waltzes, and the, and there was a lot of tracks. Uh, you know, the, there are the polkas, and is that the mu- is that diegetic music that appears in the world of the film, or is it part of the the fabric of the score? Well, the 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 the, the, the I wrote all the polkas <laughs> and all the waltzes. It's all my music. Uh-huh. Um, there's nothing. There's nothing that's um, uh, it's, it, it's the sky. The, the entire score is original, apart from the right. the lavender blue. It was a classic. Um, 
the source music um, is that we called the, the diegetic. Yeah, that, that, I guess the same <laughs> well, as the, source the, music or needle drop. Well, or the, <laughs> uh, well the, the source music. Um, um, in fact, the the um, the royal walls, the, the walls royal, was written overnight because when I got back to London and they were filming, I got a call the day before and Ken asked if I could compose a waltz um, for the for as as as, as it were background music for the um, arrival of all the, the, the guests. So that was very quickly written overnight. Wow. Um, um, so that's, that happens regularly with Ken. You can just, but usually by then, I'm, I'm sort of immersed in it. <laughs> so I've, I've got the, the in-house style is, is in my blood. Um, I just like, Patrick, hold on, please. Could you do my favorite, Patrick? Could you look up uh, all the names of the waltzes for me? And I, I teach me all my time to have to remember the name of these waltzes. Um, there's so many of them in because I'm just going to look them up. You may, you've probably got them in front of you. I just like, so I can talk intelligently about the actual ge- geography of all these walls and how they act, and, and polkas and how they actually emerged. Um, there's a the Vals uh, um, de l'Amour. That's the Cinderella. That's the main walls. Um, and I gave them French titles because I imagine that in, in in most of the courts in Europe, everyone spoke French. And that was the sort of, yes, you'd have a problem now, yeah. Uh, La Balfe de l'Amour um, is the central walls, and La Balfe Champagne is the is one immediately afterwards, Champagne Walls. Mm-hmm. So I gave them all these titles. Um, and uh, I thought, a polka militaire, because of the sort of militaristic element in the in terms of the guards and the royal family. The Balfe Royale, because it's a royal ball. Um, uh, but the, the Balfe Royale was written, as I see, Ken asked me overnight. The Vols, La Vols de l'Amour was written in France and La Vols Champagne. Um, and uh, I fully orchestrated all of these works. I was determined I would do it all myself. Um, wow. Because I just had so much time to do all of it. I'm particularly proud of the uh, uh, La Polka de Paris. Um, this is a. Um, I, I just had a joyous time. I, I, I looked at some Strauss walls. I looked at the first page of the score and all I have the idea of that. I've heard them all my life. <laughs> um, and uh, la, um, the, the Midnight Polka um, is a uh, La Polka de Minuit. Um, that, for obvious reasons, it was titled so, um, to create a wonderful energy. So the, the, there was a discussion of, of, of using the Polka, um, I think it was La Polka de Minuit, um, for her Russian Hemisphere, but in the end decided on score there. Non diegetic, I suppose you would call that. Yes, yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, we decided not to have diegetic music there. But the, and then it was cut accordingly. Um, there would be one comes in, comes in and out of real time. Uh, and I knew there would be an element of cutting back and forth. So hopefully I did it seamlessly. I mean, there's a natural thing when you go from score to, to underscore mm-hmm. and back, and, and from score to, uh, from source to score, as we call it. So I felt we did it as elegantly um, as elegantly as 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 you could. I think it works out very nicely. Um, so in the end, uh, in fact, life and laughter is our walls. Um, that's the fourth track. I really wanted to write because it felt that she um, that she was trying to be um, Lady Tremaine was trying to be sophisticated and um, I thought I would write a, 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 hopefully a sophisticated piece of chamber music. Um, 
Again, these pieces, you know, they take a lot of care and attention that one doesn't just churn them out. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, the, they, are a, a, um, they are stylistically part of a, um, a 19th, 19th century tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, so you want to make sure that you, you serve that period well and do, do the best of and give it, give it, um, and give it justice. So, um, anyway, so I, he came as very, he loved, he particularly adores the volatile l'amour. And when I said to him, he just said, terrific, this, that's it. That's totally it. <laughs> um, it was unequivocal. And, um, I sort of knew it myself. I, because his descriptions are so detailed and clear and, and I really can, I can visualize his, his, his vision. So, um, um, but he's uh, he's if he's not happy, he'll see it. I'm not, it's not hitting the mark. He's always encouraging. Um, but uh, no, it was a joy to be at the ball and to listen to all of these. Um, the Valse Royale, the Valse uh, de l'Amour, and the Valse Champagne were the three. Were the three um, and and the yes, those those were the three dances that we had. Uh, throughout the week, and it was t- I did some very very good mock-ups and demos of these uh, three dances. So I was, um, and everyone, everyone. In fact, if someone tried to shazam it, is that what we call it? Shazam. Use, shazam. Is it shazam? You got when when the person listens to it on the phone, and it and it tried to. What is that called, Patrick? I'm not sure. It's called. We call it shazam. Okay. <laughs> it's an application where people hold up the phone and then. <laughs> Then it tells you on the internet what the piece is. Uh-huh. They, couldn't, they couldn't find it anywhere. And I said, that's because I wrote it. They <laughs> <laughs> thought it was an existing piece. That was quite interesting. They're all trying, well, I can't find this thing. And they all wanted to sort of download and play it. So anyway, um, so that's the story of it all, really. Well, I mean, that's, I mean, and it all comes together. I mean, the, the score is really beautiful. And I mean, it really uh, it resonated with me. I found it so emotional. It's so lush and it's so... It's never melodramatic or schmaltzy. You guys hit the tone so perfectly. So, um. well, that's the thing. That's the thing. I, you know, um, it, it's about elegance and taste and uh, size. And as he was saying, as I said earlier, he was quite keen. That that's why in his head he knew it could get too big in places. That it had to have the right size and tone to it at all right. times. Yeah, and there was a few rewrites when you saw a run of something. Oh, that's too big. There, that's too small. Yeah. That's tiny here, and, you would, and of course there was there was changes to the visual effects. So there was a pickup session, as we always knew there would be, mm-hmm. to adapt to the new length of, of things. Um, but uh, I'm I'm glad you see that guy because we were very 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 conscious of that, and it would have to have the right elements at the right time throughout the picture. Yes. I think cumulatively, I think I do think he's directed a masterpiece. I really do that. I think that I think he's done an extraordinary, an extraordinary thing, and and he's pulled everyone along with him. And I mean, you guys are getting great reviews so far. It's I think a hundred percent as of, of this interview speaking right now, a hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes. So, I mean, everyone is loving it, um, and it comes out next week. So I can't. I already have my tickets booked, so I can't wait to see it. And um, um, and actually, I work at Disney too, so I'm actually working on the the home video art so that's kind of my oh wow you uh, yeah so we're i'm kind of immersed in that world right now too working on the, the blu-ray covers and and all that stuff but um oh wow wow <laughs> well well i i i've been very very good to you guys my very first score hollywood score was um a negative pickup from norway 
Um, it's a film called Hawking Hawkinson in Norway. It's based in this children's book. And then they changed it out to ship bait for the American market, well, for the, for the um, whatever, bigger, the bigger market. Um, when I first met Chris Mantan, I saw Chris last week, Nandy Hill, who was working at the time. So, um, we had great friends. He'd been on a holiday to our place in France and uh, his family. And, wow. Um, you know, and of course, working on Brave and then this. Right. Um, so uh, they've been very, very good to me, and um, um, I must say that everyone has been very kind about uh, from 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 Disney about about the work uh, I've done, and obviously about the tremendous job Ken has done. So, and your review was very, very generous. I really appreciate it. <laughs> oh, I mean, no, it's the uh, the music is what was generous, and I was able to reflect that. So it's it's it was the, one of the easiest reviews I could write because it was the music spoke. So <laughs> well, I'm I'm thrilled. I'm very proud of it, and, and um, it's a uh, it's a real joy to watch the picture uh, with an audience there. It it, it, makes, it really just warms your heart, and um, um, I'm just delighted I had the opportunity um, to be part of it. I really, really am. I'm very, very honoured. So, kind of just to wrap up, looking back at your uh, filmography with Kenneth, is there a, I mean, they're all your babies, they're all your children, but is there a special film that you guys worked on together that kind of stands out from the rest? Well, I think Kenneth you know, has to be that one. It was the very first time we got together. Yeah. Um, it was, the film is full of great friends. Uh, um, um, all those actors, Brian Blessed, Richard Bryce, who's, who's died so, uh, recently, great friends. And Annie, Annie, his wife, plays the old lady who tries to try on the slipper. Mm-hmm. She's a good friend of ours during the montage in Cinderella. Um, she was involved in the picture as well. And um, so um, lots of the actors, Derek Jacoby, Judy, of course, and Emma. Um, so it was my first score at a great family affair. Um, the film stand, stands up, still stands up beautifully. Um, and the score it only it only went out of print, I think, the, the CD two years ago. Um, so I'm very I'm very very um, glad that um, we're back together with a with a really terrific um, so far a terrific response to success it seems. So um, now that I have to say that I've worked we've done so one much to do. Uh, my wife really loves that score. Um, but uh, which I I love being in Tuscany. It was fantastic um, mm. to spend six weeks there. But I think I have to say Henry Smith was was a special one. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, one final question before we wrap up. I always like to ask composers this question: If you could score any film ever made, pretending the original score never existed, what film would you choose? At the Godfather. The Godfather. Well, that was quick. Mm-hmm. That was. <laughs> Unequivocally, one of the you. Know, I can see Grapes of Wrath. I can see <laughs> a thousand pictures, um, but there's something about yeah. You know, it's a different. There's something about The Godfather. It's, it's just I love the op- operatic nature of it. Mm-hmm. I love the performances. I love the story. The, it, the look of it. It has. It is timeless. It hasn't aged one iota. It's an extraordinary picture, and it pays great attention to to periods. Um, and that was a very wise thing to do. Um, no, I would. Uh, I think that's a fantastic score, um, and uh, I think he he he's a very bold writer. And uh, 
when the cue comes in, it comes in. There's no, <laughs> there's no, there's no shyness here. Brianna, Brianna, hello, I'm here. Um, so I love that quality about it, and I'm afraid I can be a bit of that myself. Hello, I'm here. <laughs> but hopefully, tastefully done. Uh, no, I, I can see that. That's a, that, I, you know, what it's like that film comes on. I mean, the same happens when you watch. That big bits of wrath or all about Eve or whatever. Mm-hmm. When you put on, when you see the Godfather, you think, "Oh God, I'm only watching this for five minutes because I'm busy." <laughs> and you think, "Oh God!" When you sit there, you say, "Oh my God, it's half an hour. I'm getting nothing done." Um, that's the power of a great film. Absolutely. Well, that's a perfect answer. And uh, Patrick, thank you so much for your time today. Um, it's been such a real pleasure and honor to to listen about your work and and speak to you. So thank you so much. No, thank you. It's my great pleasure. My great pleasure. Thank you very much.